0: Hey guys, this is just a quick reminder up top that we are coming to the Sound Education Conference in October in Boston. And if you are interested in coming, you should check out the website soundeducation.fm or go to register for tickets at bit.ly slash sound underscore edu 19. We would really, really love to see you there.
1: Welcome to Pontifex,
0: I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 57, Pope Boniface II.
1: So, does he, well, I guess we'll find out in Facium sanctus if he's got that bonny face. Bony face? <laughs> boner face? No! I said bony face. <laughs> if he has a boner face, I feel like that's
0: a score <laughs> of 10. Right there. We are going to deal with popes that have, like, those noses that you could almost say that about later in this series, so we'll remember that bony face. So, this is a name you should remember from last week. Do you remember it?
1: Mm, Yes.
0: Okay, so what we'll say is that the Bonifaci, or the Bonifaces, definitely attract anti-popes. So, before we get into it, we will do his early life. Boniface was born in or very near Rome, and he is the son of Sigisbald. Now, that is a very different name than we've seen so far for our papal families, and this is because Boniface is our first pope that comes from an Ostrogothic family, making him our first Germanic pope. Now, despite the fact that Rome has been in the Ostrogothic kingdom since the time of Pope Gelasius, Most of the players, both in the church and in civil administration in Rome, have remained Italian. And it's worth noting that even though Italy had become significant to the Ostrogothic kingdom, and King Theoderic ruled from Ravenna, not many Ostrogoths had actually moved into Rome. Boniface's family would have been one of a small minority that actually did. So he's kind of unique in that way. Because of his German heritage, it's also been speculated that Boniface and his family might have originally been Aryans that converted at some point in his early life. Either that or his parents were Aryans before he was born and then they converted and then they had him. We can't be sure, but there is some theories because we know that the Ostrogoths were primarily Aryans. We do know that he entered the church relatively early and that by the papacy of Felix IV, he was an influential archdeacon who had positive relationships both within the church and with the civil administration. We also know, as we talked about last week, that he was a favorite and a close advisor of his predecessor, Pope Felix IV. And when Felix fell ill in the middle of 530, he began to grow concerned about the continuation of the papacy and the possibility of the factional divide between the pro-Ostrogothic clerics that he represented and the pro-Byzantines, who were still extremely unhappy over how Felix had been "...elected," in air quotes, and they weren't particularly thrilled about his close relationship with Queen Amalusuntha and her son Athalaric. So, when he's sick and laying on his deathbed... In hopes of preventing that dissension and the potential of an anti-pope situation, Felix summoned as many of the Roman clergy as he could and a couple of Roman senators to witness him proclaiming Boniface as his official successor, with the solemn conference of the pallium on him as a symbol of his future sovereignty as the next pope. Now, some sources say that Boniface was about 40 at the time that this happened, Although some accounts also refer to him as aged, so we can say that he was somewhere between middle age and elderly at the time that he was appointed as a successor. So, with this declaration, Felix announced an excommunication on anyone who refused to recognize his chosen successor. Remember how this went?
1: <laughs> they said no.
0: Yeah, uh, they were, they were not about that life. Despite the benefits of being close with Queen Amalasantha, That had worked out really well for the church, but there were still really, really strong suspicions of the Ostrogoths interfering with the papacy, and resistance to their Arianism was so high in the clergy that when Felix actually died, the overwhelming majority of the clergy refused to recognize his succession plan. They reject Boniface, and nearly 60 out of the 70-ish bishops in Rome at the time, choose another candidate. So this is a huge disparity that we're looking at. 60 out of 70 reject Boniface and elect somebody else. And the other man they chose is somebody we've already mentioned, particularly during the last anti-papacy between Symmachus and Laurentius. This is... Dioscorus, the exiled Alexandrian deacon. But, you know, despite the overwhelming vote for Dioscorus, both men were still consecrated on the same day, which was September 22nd, 530. Boniface was consecrated in the Basilica of Julius, and Dioscorus in the Lateran Basilica. And of course, the whole of Rome braced for another massive conflict of rioting and violence. Then. Word came through that the Eastern Emperor chose to recognize Dioscorus as the rightful pope for having the majority of the votes and the Ostrogothic Kingdom decided they were going to stick with Boniface as Felix's succession plan had dictated. So this is not good. So the citizens of Rome prepared to batten down the hatches in defense of their chosen pope again and held their breath for things to just Spiral out of control, as they had time and time again. Look, we have somebody who is only consecrated pope because the last pope said he should be, but no one wants him and we've overwhelmingly voted for this other guy. So, they're prepared for violence here. But it never came, because 22 days after the competing elections, on October 14th of 530, the favorably elected pope Dioscorus of Alexandria died. Oh yeah. Ah (laughs) right when he died. Ah (laughs) thanks, Rowan. The seventh anti papacy was concluded, and all the bishops who had supported Dioscorus felt the fire kind of go out from underneath them, and they just relented and accepted Boniface to be the next pope. It is literally through sheer fluke that Boniface gets an episode in this series. I was waiting to see if you'd be like, why are we talking about this guy? If this is who the church wanted, because if Dioscorus hadn't died so quickly and had an opportunity to actually, like, do a pope thing, then Boniface would be relegated to the corners of history as an anti-pope.
1: Well, okay. Do we know what Dioscorus died of? We're going to talk
0: about it on Patreon, because he still actually gets an an anti-pope episode. This guy? is really interesting and he has quite a fascinating pre-popey life. So we're going to cover him on Patreon as an anti-pope because that's still how they list it. Even though technically, technically, Boniface would have been the anti-pope had anything gone differently. This is a moment of fate. Boniface succeeded in the end. He's pope now. He was accepted by all of the clergy. They didn't go, oh, Dioscorus is dead, we need to elect someone else. They just went, fine. But he's pope now to almost an entire local clergy that went against him.
1: I'm sure that feels real good. Yeah. That doesn't give him anxiety at all.
0: Right? It doesn't really scream apostolic successor of Peter the way that the popes are really looking for at this point. It's just kind of unfortunate. So he has to kind of deal with that. So the first thing that Boniface does, now that he is the rightful accepted pope, was to convene a synod for all the clerics in Rome for December 27th of 530 with the express purpose of receiving the official signed submission of any cleric who had supported Dioscorus. And, you know, just for good measures, he anathematizes Dioscorus altogether. Not really a uh, conciliatory move. And yet, all things considered, the synod goes over extremely well. There's no resistance from the Dioscoran supporters to renounce their actions against him. They just go ahead, they pledge their ongoing obedience, and Boniface is relatively mild and easy to accept their submission to him, and he doesn't seek a re-legitimizing election or, like, try to punish anyone who went with Dioscorus just anathematizes Dioscorus That guy, mm So <laughs> the clergy moves on, and the peace of the papacy was secured without resentment. I think everyone was just not prepared to go to violence over this. It came so close, and they went, we narrowly avoided
1: that. I don't want to go back to it. We don't need more violence.
0: Yeah, exactly. So only the Liber Pontificalis, among all of our sources, paints this as an unpleasant synod, because it's the Liber Pontificalis, and says, Then Boniface, full of ambition and guile, commanded with much bitterness the clergy to return to him under bond of an anathema in their own handwriting, and the anathema in their own hand he deposited in the archives of the church, as if for condemnation of Dioscorus. We know how reliable it is as a source, so. Then, in early 531, a second synod was convened in St. Peter's. And at this synod, Boniface issued the clergy of Rome with a constitution to go to the church and to the people of Rome that announced that the Pope now had the right to appoint his successor. So, he is now attempting not only to legitimize what Pope Felix had done for him, but also for him to announce his own chosen successor, which was a deacon called Vigilius. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have things to say about Vigilius? Nope. Well, you're gonna have a lot of opportunity to say things about Vigilius. Is that Vigilius with a V? <laughs> it is Vigilius with a V, but not with an A.
1: <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like Fla-Gilius, <laughs> which is also... <laughs> Really terrible. Flagilius <laughs> would be the worst pope name, but I will I will clarify that this is
0: Vigilius, not Vajilius, <laughs> just just for clarification's sake. So, yeah, put a pin in that. He has now held this synod and told them, "Look, I know you didn't like when the pope tried to appoint his own successor, but now." It's totally legit because here I am. And it's going to be even more legit because here's Vigilius and he's going to be the next Pope. And at the time that this was presented to the clerics, they ratified his constitution and they accepted his choice. And therefore, when it was brought to the people and the Senate after this, they did the same. But this was one of those situations where you kind of agree to something and then almost immediately regret it after the fact, especially among the clergy. They hadn't agreed when Felix had tried to appoint his successor by a huge majority, and now they just ratified a document that essentially took the right of election away from them. They're sitting there going, what have I done? I immediately regret this decision. So, oh, I actually put the gif of Ron Burgundy saying I immediately regret this decision in my notes. Nice. So, they immediately began to grow resentful towards the Pope for this, and sensing the tone in the church, the Senate agree that they're not too happy with the outcome either, to the point where a protest happens out in the street. Things are starting to get tense again. Again, we're right on the edge of violence. So, realizing how precariously close he was to another divisive, anti-papacy-type moment... Boniface decided, I'm going to hold a third synod before the end of the year, which he also summoned the Roman Senate to attend. And here, he made a show of personally burning the constitution that he'd had them signed, and he nullified his declaration of Vigilius as his successor, permitting the clergy to elect whoever they favored when the time came. So he's backtracking. He's like, look, okay, I realize that was a really bad idea. Vigilius, you're not the next pope. Sorry, buddy. He will not be the next pope. This is not a, like a blindside like this time. He will not be the next pope, but he will be a pope in the future. And wow, that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> so keep that in your hat. If you think his name is great, just wait till I tell you things about him. Like, it'll be up there for sure. So the Liber Pontificalis says, quote, Boniface repented of his sin in that he wished to appoint his successor. He confessed that he had been guilty of sacrilege and had confirmed the decree with his own signature in behalf of the deacon Vigilius, and before the confession of blessed St. Peter the Apostle in the presence of all priests and clergy and senators, he burned the decree with fire. So in doing this and realizing that no one was going to go on board with him, so just backtracking and look, just, Fully owning his mistake, he probably saved his papacy. So, you know, that's kind of what it is. These synods, by the way, were the events that took up the majority of his papacy, so he spent most of his time just trying to ratify and and clarify what he wanted his papacy to look like, but he still managed to do a couple more things. And the most notable thing that he would do would be to unequivocally confirm the acts of the Second Council of Orange that we discussed last week in the Papacy of Felix 4. Orange. Yes, the Second Council of Orange, but we don't want sexy oranges.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I told my mom that today and she's like, what is wrong with you two? I'm like, Fry doesn't want sexy
1: oranges, what can I say? Citrus fruit is not for the bedroom.
0: She was also there while I was QAing our our Patreon for August and uh heard the whole bit about sweet pickles. The look on her face was just, this is my daughter and she's a freak. So the Council of Sexy Oranges was, <laughs> years, was dealing with the question of semi-Pelagianism and the role of grace and free will in man's faith and salvation. The council had been presided over by Caesarius of Arles, who was a close friend of Boniface, and once the council had concluded, Caesarius sent a priest called Armenius as an envoy to Boniface, not knowing that Boniface had become pope in the meantime, with a message to entreat him to ensure the pope, who he thought was still Felix IV, issued a papal confirmation of the decision made by the council which was that faith had its beginning in the grace of God, and therefore grace was always necessary for salvation. Of course, this council wanted a papal confirmation because that was the precedent that was set by Pope Leo after Chalcedon. So he's like, hey, buddy, Boniface's old friend, can you get the pope to send us a confirmation? And Boniface is going, I am the pope. So when Arminius arrived and found out that Boniface was now pope, this was very easy for him to obtain. Boniface sent his confirmation of the decrees of the Council of Sexy Oranges to Caesarius in an epistle dated January 25th of 531. And therefore, the semi-Pelagian controversy of the church was settled, and all that adhered to its theology were anathema. So there's that. He also had to intervene in Illyria, where Epiphanus, the bishop of Constantinople, had stepped in to annul an election that had been held for the Archbishopric of Larissa, where a deacon called Stephen was elected, and Epiphonus stepped in and deposed him due to, quote, canonical irregularities. But, as you will remember because we have mentioned it so many times, Illyria is a papal vicariate with a direct connection and subjectivity to Rome so Stephen had not tried to defend himself to Epiphanius, going, look, you don't have the authority to do this. And he appeals directly to the Pope, despite all of Epiphanius's efforts to try and stop him from doing just that. So Stephen argued that Epiphanus had overstepped and didn't have the authority to make a judgment on his case, that only the Pope, with primacy over all jurisdictions, could set things right. And when Boniface received Stephen's appeal, he convened another synod on the 7th of December 531 to hear the reading of documents that supported Stephen's case, as well as 25 papal letters brought by Theodore of Echinom, who was a supporter of of Stephen's. Oh my goodness, you are sending me sexy oranges, (laughs) (laughs) Fry! I will post those! Guys, do you want to see the sexy oranges? (laughs) Let us know! This is definitely going up as a social media pope. Post. Pope! (laughs) I have pope on the brain, clearly. That referenced and evidenced the long-standing understanding of Rome's prime authority over the region and its place of distinction. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the records from this synod preserved, including what the final outcome was, so we can't be sure what happened, but we can infer that, based on Rome's relationship with Constantinople, He probably overturned Epiphanes' judgment and heard the case for himself. Whether Stephen got to keep the bishopric of Larissa, we don't know, but we can be sure that the Pope probably heard it out. Boniface also received a letter of appeal from the bishops in Africa, who were in the process of rebuilding their church now that King Thrasimund was dead of the Vandal Kingdom and the persecutions had come to an end, as we discussed in Pope Hormistus's episode, episode 54. They were hoping that the Pope would confirm the rights of the Archbishop of Carthage as a primate to help re-establish a closer relationship with Rome and re-establish a clear structure in the North African Church. And Boniface happily confirmed the bishop's primatial rights and bringing North Africa back into the church much closer than it was. So he gets a tick there. Now in Rome itself, despite his rough start, Boniface earned a reputation for extensive charity to the poor of Rome. Particularly since during his papacy, Rome underwent at least a year period of ongoing famine. If this is not the major famine that's going to cause global catastrophe in a few years, and we will be dealing with shortly, but a more localized issue. And he got really, really involved in relieving the poor who could not feed themselves. And one last thing. Catholic365.com credits Boniface for changing the dating nomenclature in Rome from AUC, which is Anno Urbis Condite, or years after the founding of Rome, to AD, as in Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So apparently he is the one that made the shift. We're not going to get into the whole dating calculations, but the AD system, just so we have reference, was developed in 525 by a monk called Dionysius Exegus, who we've cited for from before because he is a great source. And AD1 is AUC 754 and is calculated on the purported date of the conception of Jesus. So, I could find no corroborating evidence that this actually had anything to do with this Pope Boniface, or that he's responsible for the popularization of the usage in Rome. He definitely wasn't the one who brought it to the rest of the world, so it's an odd thing to throw out there with no corroborating sources. We can't verify it, so we're just mentioning it. Maybe this is something he did. This is the first time we're talking about it. So. Boniface died of natural causes on October 17th of 532. He was buried in St. Peter's, and though his original tomb was destroyed during the building of the new St. Peter's, a fragment of his epitaph has been preserved and can be seen at the Vatican today. And it says, quote, Longtime servant of the ancient apostolic see, holy bishop of all the world, the elderly Boniface enclosed his body here, trusting in God's glorious return. As a gentle shepherd, he reconciled division. With the fall of the enemy, he revived the troubled flock. He abated their rage with prayers from a humble heart. With honesty, he conquered all deceptions. He drove famine away with supplications and compassion, lest Rome be destroyed by her bearing year. O saintly father, who would not recognize that you are with Christ? For all approve that you have lived a splendid youth. I like that fall of the enemy, you know, like, Poor Dioscorus. Seriously. We're going to have so much to say about him. So, that's Boniface.
1: And now, we get to rate him. Papatum and Phallium. This is not going to be a good round for him. I don't think it is, no. He starts out
0: essentially as an anti-pope. Fake pope. Yeah, he is fake pope. That is not good papal impact. He never receives an official legitimate election. For good. When he was recognized as the legitimate pope, he didn't seek retribution and wasn't punitive with the clergy, which in majority had not supported him. Then he issues this new constitution that a pope can appoint their successors, and due to the wide unpopularity and resentment and public pressure, he is forced to recant his own decision. That is not good papal impact. (laughs) However, on that note, I do want to say he does recant his own decision, and he makes a public declaration of it. <laughs> yeah! He has so many things he wants to say about Boniface tonight. He recants his decision. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, though, he does recant his own decision, and he makes a public declaration of it by burning the decrees, showing that he is flexible and he is listening rather than just ham-fisting it in, right? So, I mean, he has to spend a lot of his time as Pope, proving that he's the valid Pope, so it's not good.
1: I'll give him maybe, like, a half point. A half point? Okay, well, let's see if I can
0: convince you with my last point here, which is he confirms the Second Council of Sexy Oranges and puts an end to semi-Pelagianism and maintains the precedent set by Leo, so he, you know, he sends that confirmation... He potentially defends papal primacy in Illyria with that whole situation with Stephen. He helps with the reorganization of the church in Africa, and he helps out in the famine. So, there's a couple good things there. One oh, maybe a whole one. A whole one. Okay, you give him a one, I'm gonna give him a two. Just because, you know, the papal primacy bit, the council bit, and Africa. I think that's fair. And that gives him a total of three in this category. Fructus prohibitum. He deserves at least one point here for starting his papacy as an antipope, even though the rest is not very scandalous. You could give him a point for the whole choosing his own successor thing after it clearly didn't work out so well, but he's definitely getting at least one for being
1: an antipope. Yeah, okay. So what do you think that's worth? The one is probably good. Just a one? I'm not really feeling him. Rowan has more feelings about Boniface than I do. <laughs> he really, really does. Yeah. That's okay, though. Secular impactum. He's gonna get some
0: points here. He's helping out in the famine. That's a big one. Even though it is relatively a small famine compared to things that are coming, they didn't know that at the time, and it's a whole year of famine. It's still pretty bad. If he is responsible for the shift to Anno Domini as a dating system, obviously this has huge secular impacts, but I sincerely doubt that he had anything to do with it. And finally, he was a candidate for pro-Ostrogothic relationships, so he maintained a beneficial and positive relationship with the ruling kingdom. So that led to ongoing toleration of the church, so there's
1: something there. Yeah. And I can give him maybe a three in this category. That's what I was thinking too. So that'll give him a six. It's a pretty fair score. Fossium Sanctus. Okay, so I have two versions of
0: the same image of the classic one that we normally vote on. One is kind of smudgy, and one has definitely been brought into high def.
1: Ooh, sharpened! Oh,
0: he is so sharpened and shiny. He'd rather be shiny.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's an old man. What's an old man. Look into the side. They made his nose much better in the second one. They fixed it. I think there was probably
0: some problems with the original image. So they've tidied him up. They've made him look nicer. They've kind of high-deft out his hair. It's like, it's like when you actually focus in on a set of binoculars from like, oh, these are not correct, to oh, that's what it actually looks like. So... The only thing that really bugs me about it is in the second image. It's kind of too blurry in the first one to make any judgment on, but if you look at the second image, right where the hole in his throat is, it looks like there are two hands kind of clasped together.
1: Yeah. It looks like a sexy orange. (laughs) Look, he's an old man in a photo. I can give this a four. Okay. He's not displeasing to the eye. He's not displeasing. Um, I
0: think I'm probably going to give him a 5, just because I think it is as run-of-the-mill as as Felix was. They have some interesting images, but yeah, they are definitely in the same category here, so I will give him the same score I did, which gives him a 2.25 overall. However, we have some more to look at. Well, we have one more to look at. It's slightly less... Called Colin Mockery, so this is a man
1: with a really weird-shaped head. Very strange shaped jaw. It's not a bony face. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's flabby, isn't it? Yeah. You could
0: grab that jowl. You could. There's nothing nice about this. He would have scored much more poorly if this had been what we were rating him on.
1: Tempus Pontificus.
0: September 22nd, 530, to October 17th, 532. Just two years and a score of zero point five.
1: All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. He's
0: not a saint. We can't make him the patron saint of sexy oranges. His total score is a twelve point seven five, which is so so much lower than his predecessor. And because you already told me you're not feeling this man, I know that he is not papally enough. Or pizzazzy enough for a papal bull. So it's a no. So that's Boniface. He's, honestly, it's, it's a, it's an interesting and very unique case where this is a man who, but for a little bit of dumb luck and someone else kicking the bucket unexpectedly, he would have been in our other series. And he probably wouldn't have lasted very long there either. However, the way that it works out, Dioscorus, our technically legitimately elected pope, who didn't actually get a chance to be pope, is going to be our anti-pope. And that should be a really interesting episode for Patreon. So if you are not signed up to Patreon and you want to hear all about the anti-popes, we've got some good ones in there. So you should do that. And we will say, as always, thank you to Totalis Rancium and Rex Factor for being our biggest inspirations and always helping to promote and push this podcast. And, of course, Rob
1: helps us with so, so much. So many things. So many things. So on that note, we will say thank you and goodbye. Bye. Mm -hmm.